Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. If you've got tenderness in your jaw or trouble chewing, an aching pain in and around your ear, you may have wondered if you have something called TMJ, temporomandibular joint dysfunction. Physical therapists are among the healthcare providers who care for people with TMJ, and today I'm talking with Scott Hoskins. He's a doctor of physical therapy in Upstate's Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Welcome to the informed patient, Dr. Hoskins. Thank you. Can you please start by describing for us what TMJ is? Yeah, the TMJ, the temporomandibular joint, is a joint where the mandible or the jawbone attaches to the skull. So there's two, there's one on either side, and its movement is important for eating, talking, facial expressions, really any movement of your face. And TMJ dysfunction, it's basically an umbrella term to describe any issue with those joints or the surrounding soft tissues. Does it involve just the jawbone itself or also the muscles around the jawbone? It's actually a very complex joint. So it's the bones where the bones connect. It's all the muscles around. There's multiple muscles that open and close your jaw. There's ligaments, there's connective tissue, joint capsule, and then there's a disc in between the bones that kind of acts as a cushion or uh, a support for the joint. Well, is this condition something that people are born with or does it develop as we age? In certain cases, there's congenital abnormalities of the bones, things like that. But most commonly, and most of the time when people think about TMJ dysfunction, it is something that develops at some point in life. And it's not necessarily with older age. The most common is females in the age range of say 20 to 40, somewhere in that range um, is the most common time to experience this. Do we have any idea what causes it? It depends. It's usually multiple factors that go into it. A lot of times it's related to what we call oral parafunctions. So basically bad habits of your jaw. So it's like clenching your teeth, people who grind their teeth at night, excessive gum chewing or chewing caps of pens, things like that. A lot of times those bad habits can contribute. Posture is often uh, a big contributing factor as well. So grinding teeth and other bad habits like crunching on ice, chewing gum, all of that can contribute to causing this then. Yep. And nighttime habits as well. If you tend to clench your teeth while you're asleep or grind your teeth in your sleep, that puts you at a, a greater risk for developing these problems. So would those be considered risk factors? Yeah, I would say so. And you mentioned women between like 20 and 40. So I'm wondering, is there something hormonal that has to do with this? That is a theory, yes. It, it, it's kind of unclear at this point, but yeah, there's definitely theories that female hormones can play a role. Does this condition run in families? If you have parents that have had this, is a child more likely to get it? Possible, yes. In some cases, it does seem that way. There is some research that shows that the predisposition to things like clenching and grinding your teeth can run in families. And there's also some theories that there is a genetic component to being predisposed to chronic pain conditions. So people who have those sorts of genes, yes, you would be more predisposed to TMJ issues. In terms of symptoms, pain in the jaw, trouble chewing, pain around the ear, 
What other symptoms are common? There's a variety. Those ones that you mentioned, yes, are all very common. One of the major ones is clicking and popping and noises in the joint. Headaches are very common as well, pain in the neck. And one that people might not necessarily think about is uh, ringing in the ears, or changes in the ears, feelings of pressure, fullness, hearing changes can all be related to TMJ dysfunction. Taking all of those symptoms together, it makes me wonder if there are other conditions that have to be ruled out before you can diagnose TMJ. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to do a good differential diagnosis and rule out any other possible causes of these symptoms. You would want to rule out any sorts of infection, obviously like an infection in the tooth or an ear infection or any sort of autoimmune disease process, like rheumatoid arthritis, things like that. And then you'd also want to carefully screen for neck problems. Some of these things that present with these symptoms can be coming from joint dysfunction or muscle problems in the neck and then just sort of mimic these symptoms. So you'd want to rule all those things out for sure. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Doctor of Physical Therapy, Scott Hoskins, about temporomandibular joint dysfunction, and we're getting into how TMJ is diagnosed. Now, I wonder, do people typically bring these complaints about these symptoms to their dentists? I mean, where would you advise people to go? That's one of the things that can be very frustrating for these patients is there's no real clear consensus on where to go. Like whether you go to your primary care doctor or you go to your dentist, a lot of times people aren't really sure. And that's something that we see a lot is frustration. People have kind of been bounced around from provider to provider. But I think probably primary care is a good place to start, your family doctor. And then a referral to, to physical therapy is probably a good place to start. So can you walk us through how TMJ is diagnosed? Yeah, so to get to a diagnosis of TMJ, it's not really one specific test. It's usually we're looking more for a cluster of symptoms. So it's usually some combination of a patient's subjective report, like when their pain occurs, things that aggravate their pain, the location of their pain, and usually presence of noises in the joint, like clicking and popping while you're chewing or talking. People will a lot of times hear noises, and then they're Usually it is a lot of tenderness around the area. So the muscles around the jaw uh, and up into the side of the head tend to get really tender. So that, and they're looking at potentially changes in the range of motion of the jaw. So people can't open their mouth as far, things like that. So it's usually we look for some combination of multiple symptoms and that usually leads us to the diagnosis of TMJ dysfunction. Now let's talk about treatment options. What are patients typically told to do for TMJ? What do the primary care providers usually advise? That can be kind of a tough question. Also, it, it varies depending on the provider that they see. The most common thing is usually heat. A lot of times people are advised to put hot packs on their jaw on the side of their face. And then usually some sort of pain medication, whether it's anti-inflammatory or muscle relaxer, Something like that. It depends on who they see. And then usually either a referral to maybe a TMJ specialist dentist or a referral to physical therapy. So what does physical therapy usually involve? It'll start with an assessment. So we'll have the person describe their symptoms, things that aggravate it, things that relieve it, location, 
and then we'll just get an overall picture of how they move, like their posture. We'll look at their neck, usually first. A lot of times there's a close relationship between how the neck functions and how the jaw functions. So we take a close look at the neck, the range of motion, how the joints move, how the muscles work. And then we'll look at the jaw itself, how the muscles feel in the jaw. Depending on what we find, we'll get into some treatment, which is usually some combination of manual therapy, which would be like massage or stretching, things like that, and then exercises. Does TMJ affect a person's ability to eat and speak? Yes. A lot of times that is the biggest complaint that people have is trouble eating, especially larger food items or harder foods like crunchy foods tend to be quite painful. So a lot of times we'll have people come in and they, for example, they can't eat a full apple. They have to cut it into small pieces or like steak, things that take a lot of chewing. That is usually people's main complaint when they see us. So how long does the typical physical therapy course last? It's variable. I would say probably on average, it would be maybe one to two visits a week for six to eight weeks, somewhere in that range. And usually it maybe 45 minutes per session, somewhere in that range. And hopefully a person would see some improvement during that time? Yeah, depending on the root cause of the symptoms. Sometimes it can be very quick. Sometimes it can take longer. But yeah, typically in that time frame, you would see quite a bit of improvement in your symptoms. And then our goal is to give patients the tools to manage these symptoms on their own. So ideally, by the end of your course of physical therapy, you know all the stretches and all the exercises, things you need to do to be able to manage your symptoms by yourself. How would someone find a physical therapist with specialization in TMJ? Because this is not something that every physical therapist offers. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And this is another thing that can be frustrating. (laughs) Um, A lot of times... It it is hard for patients to find somebody who does specialize in in treating TMJ. And there's no real central database of where to find it. I would just recommend when you call a physical therapy clinic, just make sure you ask before you set up your appointment. Make sure if there is somebody at that clinic who can treat the TMJ. Is surgery ever recommended? In more advanced cases, yes. How involved does that get? Again, that can vary. So it can start kind of anything as basic as something that is called an arthrocentesis, where it's basically a very small incision, and then they can flush the joint space with a sterile fluid. And the idea with that is you flush out any of the inflammatory cells or break up any adhesions that are messing with the way the joint moves. So that's kind of the least invasive procedure. It can be up to something like repairing the disc that's in the joint space or repositioning that disc or sometimes even removing that disc completely just to kind of free up the movement of the joint. Uh, And then it goes all the way up to a complete replacement of the joint. Just the way somebody would have their knee joint replaced, you'd have your TMJ replaced as well. Can TMJ be permanently fixed, or is this a condition that may flare up from time to time for the rest of the person's life? Again, that kind of depends on what is the root cause of it. I would say in general, it can be permanently fixed if you address the root cause. So whether it's correcting the posture, whether it's behavior modification, like changing, like we mentioned before, those bad habits that kind of lead to it. If you can permanently change those, it should permanently affect the symptoms. And then maintaining your home exercise program. Usually there is some 
part of your exercises that you will have to keep up with forever just to maintain things. So if patients are good about taking care of themselves, taking care of their symptoms, it's usually something they can manage. And then again, our goal is to provide the tools to the patients. So if somebody does have a flare up, they know what to do. They know what stretches they need to do or increase frequency of, they know what exercises they need to do. They know what kind of things they have to change and avoid to take care of their symptoms by themselves. Well, before we wrap up, what are the things people can do to prevent the development of TMJ or at least to try to prevent the development of TMJ? Uh, yeah, there's definitely things you can do. So the easiest things are minimize excessive chewing. So if you're somebody who is constantly chewing gum throughout the day, chewing on pens and pencils, things like that, trying to minimize that if you can. Being aware of your posture, if you're always in the slouched or forward head position, that affects the mechanics of the jaw. So being more aware of your posture, sitting up straight, keeping your shoulders back. Stress management is a big thing. If you're somebody who's always tense and holding your shoulders up, that's going to affect all the muscles in the front of your neck and your jaw and everything's just going to be sort of tight. So stress management is a huge thing. As much as you can, nighttime behavior modification. So if you're somebody who clenches your teeth or grinds your teeth while you sleep, possibly at a mouth guard, uh, which your dentist would be able to provide, can be helpful and minimize that extra stress on the jaw throughout the night. It can be kind of a hard fix, but if you can make this your habit, it can be very beneficial. There's something that we call the resting position of the jaw. When you're not using your mouth for eating or talking or whatever, you want your habit to be to keep your lips together, keep your teeth slightly apart, and then have your tongue just gently relaxed on the roof of your mouth. So that is the position where there's the least stress on the, the joint. So the more you can make that your habit, the less stress there is on the TMJ. That's good to know. I appreciate you making time for this interview, Dr. Hoskins. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. My guest has been Doctor of Physical Therapy Scott Hoskins from Upstate's Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.